pray over the word and everybody's agreeing with me. I pray tonight. I think this mic might be a little hot, so let me bring it down just to, I think it's just right underneath that 20 is where it normally goes. But Lord, we pray tonight that you would allow an awesome anointing on this word tonight. Holy Spirit, come. Lord, I pray that your glory would be awesome, strong. And Lord, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, help us tonight to give you our best ear and full attention. Lord, that you would anoint our eyes and ears and tune them in to your spirit. Lord, that you would give us um, anointed minds to be able to have the mind of Christ and be open to be able to understand things maybe we never have before by the power of the Holy Spirit helping us and that our hearts will be sensitive and open to the word of God and that your word will be able to get into our hearts. And it's not just something that goes in the ear and forgotten, but it, your word really gets down into us and changes us. Lord, I feel this word is extremely important. It's a word for river of life for this time, for such a time as this, really. And I pray that this word will go forth in glory and power and strong anointing and will accomplish everything you want it to accomplish and will bear fruit and it will be something that, that we remember. Lord, I pray for retention, that it will really get in our hearts and minds long term and we'll be able to recall this information when we need it down the road. And we thank you, Lord, for it. Bless this, Lord. We agree together, let everything be accomplished through this time in the word that your will to be done as it goes out as the shining truth of God and dispelling the darkness of the enemy, the hammer that breaks down the strongholds, the sword that cuts away what needs to go, the washing of the water that cleanses. We thank you for it. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I get into this tonight, and everything's good, all recordings, all is well, as I get into this tonight, I want everybody tonight, if you would, everybody usually is really great about listening and all that, but I'm just asking you tonight of all nights to really give me your best ear because I don't just feel this is a sermon. This is much more than a sermon. It's almost like a, a revelation from the Lord about days to come. There's some warnings in it. And I really believe that we in River of Life need this. I want everybody to hear what I'm saying. I sense in my spirit very strongly, and you guys know me. You don't. You, you know I don't just get up and say stuff like this. I really, I, I sense it strong that there is literally like something changing, and we are about to enter into something new. And it's things that we've been praying about for a long time. I'm telling you, it's close. And the anointing is beginning to change. I sense a new move of the Spirit of God in this house. As I'm in personal prayer, I sense something new God's doing in me. And I just sense that it's, it's, a, it's a great thing, but we're coming out of something into something new. And that prophetic word I gave earlier from the Lord, if you remember the things that were said, it's like coming at, to a new altitude and leaving old things behind. So I really sense that that is where we're at and we need to remember that because it is a time of change. And so tonight I'm gonna to be very open and transparent and real, I don't know, I sensed almost like a, like you're just talking to people, um, you know, investing in people's lives tonight. It is a sermon, but it's much more than that. So a pastor, by the grace of God, and it is only by the grace of God, but 
A, a shepherd will stand up on two legs and is taller than the sheep. And so the shepherd can see farther and can see things a lot of times that the sheep cannot see. And it's just because the Lord enables them to do so because they're the shepherd. They're supposed to know which way to go. Amen. And so you got to be able to see things. You got to be able to know what's going on. So a lot of times things will begin with me um, before anyone else as the Lord is preparing my heart. It's got to start in the pastor. So as I go ahead and jump into this, remember last week's sermon. If you haven't heard it, it might be good to hear it. But I talked about just some warnings about people that, that come into churches and not everybody that darkens the door of a church is a man or a woman of God. And not all of them need to be trusted. And I think we all know that. But just a very good reminder. So don't trust at face value everybody that walks through the doors. All right. 1 Corinthians 16 verse 8. The Apostle Paul I want you to take notice of this scripture. He was writing to the church in Corinth. This was a Gentile church he planted. They had a lot of problems. But anyway, he was writing to them. And at the end of his letter, he told them this. He said, I'm going to remain in Ephesus until Pentecost. Because Paul kept the feast and, and he would go to Jerusalem at Pentecost. But he said, I'm going to remain in Ephesus till Pentecost because, look at this. A wide door for effective service has opened to me, and there are many that oppose me. Anybody that has studied this out knows that the first time the Apostle Paul went through Ephesus, nothing significant happened. On his first missionary journey through Ephesus, nothing major, okay? In fact, he just went through there. But his second time through Ephesus... This was a major effective door that opened him. You can read about this revival in Acts chapter 19. It is the most radical revival the Apostle Paul had in his whole ministry that we know of. There was major breakthroughs. The whole province, he was there for two years total, the whole province heard the gospel. There were major deliverances from demons. There were major healings. Healings were... You know, just cloths and materials that came into contact with Paul was sent out to people, and the cloth, as it was, as it touched them, they'd be healed or delivered to demons, things like that. So it was super. It was a major move of God. It's an incredible move of God. A great harvest. But I want you to notice this. He said, "I'm going to stay here in Ephesus." I'm going to paraphrase what he's saying. He's saying, "Look, I'm going to stay here because." There's something that has opened up to me here. There's a move of God that has opened up in this region. And I'm not going to leave the region. God's not done. But he also said there are many that oppose me. Interestingly enough, I was driving to the church this morning so I could pray here today. And while I was driving here, I really felt led to listen to a particular sermon for whatever reason. And I did. And it just happened to be a sermon by John Kilpatrick, and I haven't heard it yet. And he was talking about what went down in Brownsville, and he said this. He said the power of God was so amazing. But he said also, he said there was, there was a very strong resistance by the devil. 
And he said these words, and hear me. He said, you cannot have a major move of God like that without there also being a major move of the devil to oppose it. And he said, the stronger the move of God, the stronger the attack. But we're victorious, but we just don't need to be ignorant. We don't need to go into this thing ignorant. And for the last couple days, you know, I tried to just press into the Lord, but the last couple days, there's been some resistance against me about this word. But, you know, hey, we're here tonight and it's still going forward. Ephesians 6.10, when you preach along these lines, it really, the enemy does not like it, trust me. Ephesians 6.10 says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. How many knows that the devil has schemes? The way the enemy works is it's like strategizing. Just like, you know, I know you know this, but the word um, arche in Greek is the principality. And we get the word architect from that word arche. And an architect is somebody that will draw up the blueprints, you know. And once he's done, then he brings in the workers and they begin with the hammer and nails to, to build up whatever it was he put on paper. But that's how it is. The, the principalities will study. They research and then they, it's like schematics and blueprints and strategies. They, they began to put together something, and when they're ready, they call in the workers, which would be the powers, principalities and powers, to come in and begin to try to carry out satanic attack. And so the Bible says here that we need to put on our armor to be ready. Verse 12 says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Now that's important. Because the main way that the devil works against the church is through people. That's the, that's the main way, and it's the most effective way. But Paul is telling us here that it's, our wrestle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, world rulers, and spiritual wickedness in the heavenlies. Those four things, principalities and powers, world rulers, and wickedness in the heavenlies. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist the evil day. Having done everything to stand firm, stand firm, therefore, having girded up your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, taking up the shield of faith, where which you will be able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. So see, your faith, faith is what extinguishes the enemy's arrows. Faith. That's why I've been telling you for a while now to go back through that, remember that paper I gave everyone a long time ago about when you take, pray in the morning or take communion, you go through these scriptures. See, as you meditate on the word, the word gets in you, faith. And then whenever it comes time, you have the faith in your heart to deal with things that come up. But we've got to have faith. It is our faith that puts up a shield and extinguishes these fiery arrows. I mean, you guys have seen old westerns. The Indians shoot those arrows with fire. Yeah. So our faith is what blocks those arrows and puts out that fire. 
and it says that we take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of god with all prayer and petition at all times in the spirit now don't skip over that part of putting on the armor is verse 18 with all prayer and petition at all times in the spirit how many guys pray in the spirit praying in tongues praying in the spirit the bible says you build up your your most holy faith you also strengthen that inner man when you pray in the spirit and god gives you revelation and not only that the holy spirit knows exactly what to pray you know we don't always know what to pray we see things going on and, and we pray with our human intellect with limited understanding finite mind saying okay look lord we ask you to intervene and do this but the spirit of god knows everything and when you're praying in the spirit i mean he's like a laser he's hitting key points that will begin to dismantle things that need to be torn down at the root he knows how to hit the areas that nothing else will be successful so to speak he knows what to hit and so praying in the spirit is a very vital part of our armament and with this in view be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints so he's saying be alert that's another part of this in context we don't need to get lukewarm we don't need to start falling asleep we need to be vigilant see there's there's you know i hate to use this example like the walking dead but some people are spiritually speaking they're walking and they're talking but spiritually they're dead are you hearing me it's it's like a spiritual zombie i hate to use that example they're walking and they're talking okay but they're dead and that's kind of the way it is in a lot of churches you we've got to have strong prayer lives in god because that is where our strength comes from in our life and out of our prayer lives we have the strength and the in the the perseverance and also the revelation of what's going on but it comes out of prayer and see in the scriptures prayerlessness is sleeping but whenever people are awake and they're watching and they're alert in scriptural terms they're praying let me say that again because there's, there's a lot of metaphors in the bible prayerlessness when people are falling asleep that is representing their prayerlessness they're sleeping but when they're awake and alert and watching they're praying that's why it's i believe it's in isaiah but you can look this up it says awake awake from your slumber clothe yourself with strength and it's talking about praying awake get in prayer and clothe yourself with strength all right then we see in hebrews and all this is going to tie in in a moment hebrews 1 14 it says it's talking about in context in the first chapter of hebrews at this point about angels okay and it says are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who inherit salvation in other words ministering spirits sent to minister to the heirs of salvation which are us and in context if you read this man put chapter breaks in there okay but in context if you keep reading from 114 all the way through to chapter 2 verse 3 it doesn't get out of this context it's still talking about angels and it says how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation <clears throat> so a lot of times we quote that as you know how will we escape hell if we neglect such a great salvation which that's a true valid point okay but that's in context that's not really what it's saying it's talking about 
in our salvation, God has provided for us that he will send his angels to deliver us out of trouble. Is everybody hearing me? That's important when it comes to spiritual warfare. Let me say that again. Part of our salvation, part of our covenant with God, God is our Father, that some of the promises we have in his word is when we are in times of trouble, he will send forth his angels to deliver us out of those times of trouble. But how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It's available to us. Does this make more sense now? Re go back and read it in context and you'll see what I'm saying. That's, that's what it's talking about. So there's going to be times that we go through spiritual warfare and difficulties, but God is in control and he will send his angels. All right. So let me dive into this. This is where I want everybody to please hear this and really take to heart what I'm saying. As I close this out, I'm going to talk about Samson and this will all tie in. But 2 Corinthians 2.10, it says, But one whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, I did it for your sakes in the presence of Christ so that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. So you have to understand the context here. What happened was the church in Corinth, in I believe 1 Corinthians chapter 5, they had a situation where there was a young man that was having sex outside of marriage. Okay? He was having sexual sin in his life. And because of the sexual sin, the apostle Paul was very upset and told that church, he said, listen, don't you understand that just a little bit of yeast will work through the whole batch of dough? And he's saying you need to purge the yeast out of your midst. You need to expel the immoral brother from your midst. And so the Corinthian church did what they were told, what you're supposed to do, what the Bible says do. And when there's somebody that's got unrepentant sin in their life, they kicked him out. Well, later, the guy was really repentant and he got his life right and he wanted to come back to the church and so this is now in context that Paul said if you forgive him I'll forgive him but it was important he said I did this for your sake in the presence of Christ so no advantage would be taken us by us for we're not ignorant of Satan's schemes in other words what the Apostle Paul is saying here is this we've got to make sure that we forgive people and that we are about unity among the brethren so that the devil doesn't get a foothold yes it was proper to have church discipline and expel him but now that he's gotten right and he's seeking restitution it's very important that we forgive people and that we seek unity so let me show you the four points out of this story here number one purging the sin out of our midst We've got to be willing, all of us, to purge the sin out. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Before God's presence got to this point in River of Life and the best is yet to come, this is not it. This is just the beginning. But before the presence of the Lord got to this place, there had to be some purging the sin out. I mean, God worked on repentant, humble people and dealt with all of us to go deeper in Him and to to really purify our lives and deeply consecrate our lives. But I will say that there were people that I had to directly confront about sin in their life. 
and it was not fun. I did it in love, and I did it in you know in privacy. And unfortunately, some well, some of them you know took it to heart, but others did not. And but hey, you know as they departed, and this was the truth. The, the elders and I have talked about this. There were two major times when I had to confront things, and it was hard to do. And I faced, I faced the devil, okay, especially the first time around. But both times that I confronted the sin and dealt with it and did not just let it go. I'm going to tell you, a lot of people just want to let it go. They don't want to deal with it. They just want to, let's just all get along. Let's just let it go. And they want just sin to be winked at and just ignore it and all that. But I'm going to tell you, you'll never have a significant presence of God if you do that. In fact, there'll be a lot of problems in a church like that because the devil has an open door. But anyway, both times when I really had to confront this and these people got mad, it caused a lot of problems, they left, we saw a major increase of the anointing both times. But y'all hear me. The first time, um, there was a tenfold increase of anointing that was prophesied and it exploded whenever they, these people departed. The second time was maybe about a year ago, I don't remember, but the anointing increased radically. So if we're willing to purge the sin out. Number two, we got to be willing to forgive people. Forgiveness is key. If, you, if you're not a forgiving person, you really need to pray about this. You need to be quick to forgive. And I'm going to tell you, most of us, especially if you've been through some really difficult times, we've had to learn how to forgive people and really learn how to walk in forgiveness. Number three is seeking the unity among the brethren, doing what we can to keep unity. And number four and this is very important. Now, I want everybody to hear me with this. It says in the Bible, don't associate with divisive people. I have preached this. And people, some people have listened, but a lot of people just haven't listened. I don't know why. So I'm going to preach it again. I'm going to tell you, I think sometimes Christians try to be too nice. Are y'all hearing me? I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I don't want to come across rude. I don't, I don't want to be this or that. Let me give you some advice. Obey the Bible. Amen. Let's obey the scripture. As I've preached on this and I've had people go, yes, amen, amen. And then they go right out and do the opposite. And you know what? Every single one of them without exception were negatively affected because of it. It's like, let me, let me use this scripture and then I'll come back to this. The Bible says rebellion is as witchcraft. So when we know that the Bible says something and then we don't do it, that's rebelling against God. But you need to read the rest of that, that uh, verse right there. It says rebellion is as witchcraft and stubbornness is as idolatry. Stubbornness. Some people are so stubborn. <laughs> So I'm just putting this out there in love as a pastor that don't open this door to the devil. Please. Because I'm telling you, it's a very dangerous door. I've seen people that wanted to be so nice and just get along with everybody, but you know what? They're not really doing good spiritually now. Some of them are out of church and away from God. If you go, for example, this is just common sense. If people, you, there's a whole group of people over here that's got a highly contagious flu. And you go around there hugging on them and hanging out with them for a long period of time, there's that strong possibility. Okay? All right. Well, it's the same thing spiritually speaking. 
people have come under a different spirit. They've allowed themselves to get rebellious toward a church, church leadership. They've allowed themselves to get a spirit of division about them. And they don't realize what spirit they're of. We forgive them. They don't, they don't realize it. They really realize that they'd probably do something about it. But they think that this, whatever this is on them, they think that this is God. They think they're deceived and I'm not. <laughs> I've got this special thing on me right now from God to rebuke everybody because everybody else is wrong there. And I'm the one that knows, you know. And they get real judgmental and critical and divisive and they want to run down the church, run down the preacher, etc. Listen to what the Bible says in Romans 16, 17. Avoid those people. Titus 3.10 says, warn them once and then don't associate with them. And Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 is some really strong language there about the seven things that God hates. And I really feel that River of Life is a very sincere group. Um, you know, I don't mean to come across frustrated, but I've been frustrated with some people in the past, i just be honest with you, because I sat there and told them to their face, if you hang out with these people, it's not going to be good, and they walk right out and hang out with them, and now they're not doing good. The Bible says, not Pastor Scott's opinion, the Bible says if you hang around those type of people, bad company corrupts good character you we can't get around the scriptures we've got to humble ourselves and submit to the scriptures okay that means that the scriptures are going to ask us sometimes to do some things that are kind of hard to do but we're still going to have to do it so what i'm saying is this in a practical sense if everybody can please hear me i don't know what's coming down the road but i do know there's some still some people floating around out there that are trouble from the past but there may be some things I have to deal with in the future. When you see those type of people out in public, avoid them. That's what the scripture says. Oh, Pastor Scott, I want to be all nice and stuff like that. I'm not telling you to be mean to them. I'm just saying avoid them. Avoid means you see them and you go, oh, I'm going over here now. They come running up to you wanting to talk to you. You're like, okay, yeah, okay, yes, now I'm busy, I gotta go. And then you make an excuse to leave. You avoid being around them. You try to stay away from them. This is a major attack of the devil that I've seen work over and over. Am I not telling the truth? My wife knows. We know a lot of things that nobody else knows. But we know why some people aren't doing real good spiritually right now, and it's because they hung around the wrong people. All right. So when you see these type of people, what are we going to do? We're going to avoid them. Amen. All right. So let's move on. Because I, I feel like maybe there's going to be some things I'm going to have to deal with in the future as well. Defensive. God's given us defensive and offensive weaponry. Defensive. There's a saying, you know, uh, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. You ever heard that? So it's better to, to be defensive about some things in the respect that we kind of, for, right here, for example, cleanse and seal off our homes. Your home should be a place where God's presence dwells. And if we will clean, cleanse out our homes and get the things out of our homes that need to be gotten out. If you read Leviticus, Leviticus 14, there was literally a leprosy that was streaking on some walls of, the Israelites homes 
and it was a spreading leprosy in their home. And we, when you do a study on this, what, it, what happened was the Canaanites were scared of Israel. They knew they were coming, and they were a superstitious group that worshiped other pagan gods. And so they would take their silver and gold, and they would beat it into little demon god idols. And to protect their homes from, you know, the God of Israel, uh, they would maybe bury them underneath or they would embed them in the walls. And so God knew that those little demon gods were in those homes, some of them anyway. And God wanted to speak to Israel because he didn't want Israel cohabitating in their homes with the demonic spirits being there that would be attached to those idols. So God would allow there to be this leprosy is what he called it, these green and red streaks to shoot up their walls. And when they saw that, it was a big warning sign. I need to go to the priest and have them come check this out. This doesn't look right. <laughs> Amen. And so they would come in and they would scrape the walls. And, and if the home could be cleansed, they would cleanse it spiritually. But if it could not be cleansed, they would tear it down. But the point in all of that is, is that our homes are cleansed and sealed off so that nothing is able to penetrate there. So make sure that you go through your property and clean out things that would allow the enemy access or defile your home. Things connected to the occult, things connected to addictions, things that connect connected to sexual sins, and maybe ungodly entertainment, things like that. Just purge out the home and cleanse your home, pray over your home. We have a guide on our website about cleansing land. If you need that, just let me know. We can get it to you. All right. The next thing is having the Lord as our shield and buckler. In Psalm 91, God promises us that if we are secret place dwellers, we would abide under his shadow, under his wings, and that he would be our shield and buckler. So you have a great promise here, and I encourage you to memorize Psalm 91 for yourself. Every day when I pray, I quote Psalm 91 over me and my family in the ministry. Because we're secret place dwellers, and I go through the whole thing, but we abide under his shadow, under his wings, and his, he, he is our shield and our buckler. So here's two things that you can do as a great preventative. Number one is cleanse your home. Number two is make your life a life of prayer and claim Psalm 91 because the Lord will envelop you in his protection. Under his wings, you'll find refuge, okay? So now let's look at the armor that Paul gave us, the helmet of salvation. This is a renewed mind. Not everything that goes into our minds needs to dwell there. We all know the saying that a bird can fly overhead, but you don't have to let it build a nest on the top of your head, right? So just because there's fleeting passing thoughts does not mean that you entertain those thoughts. And let me tell you, your mind area is one of the greatest battlefields. And Romans 12 says that you can be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word transformed is a Greek word, metamorpho, and it's where we get metamorphosis. So I want you to think about this. If I was to take a little caterpillar and put him on the ground right here and let him crawl along the ground, and then I was to take a big, beautiful butterfly and bring him in here and let him fly around, how many of you knows there is a huge difference here? But that butterfly used to be that caterpillar. But there was a process that took place in a cocoon called a metamorphosis where that ugly little worm caterpillar 
turned into a beautiful butterfly. So the, the worm caterpillar here ha has to crawl on the ground on his belly, and he has to, he's, it's like he's bound to the earth, if y'all are catching the symbolism. He's bound to the earth, and every single difficult thing that's in front of him, he has to work climbing over it, but a butterfly soars above it all. We, if we will renew our minds, I'm telling you, there is such a transformation that you will leave the old caterpillar life of having a worldly mindset, struggling, and come into that butterfly life where you're soaring above things. But you're going to have to renew your mind. And some people say it's, it seems so hard. You know why? Because you haven't been doing it. See, if I was to quit, you know, working out at all, I mean, had lift weights in six months or anything, and was to go in there and lift some weights, how many knows you are sore the next day? How many guys have done it? I mean sore. You know, you, some people have never practiced having a disciplined mind and renewing their mind, and they start trying to do it, and it's like a muscle. <laughs> it's like, this is hard. But if you'll keep doing it, the Holy Spirit will help you, and he will help you strengthen that a strong soul, a strong mind is a disciplined mind. In the scriptures, it is. It is a mind that refuses to dwell on the negative. It is a mind that refuses to dwell on fear. It is a mind that refuses to dwell on unforgiving, bitter thoughts. It is a mind that refuses to dwell like a poverty mentality, a defeated mentality, all that garbage. It, you know, lust or violence or whatever it is that tries to go in that mind, it says, no, I'm going to throw that garbage out and I'm going to think on something else. That's a renewed mind. Practice it now. But that has to do with the helmet of salvation. There's something that can settle over our minds from the Lord. It was paid for at Calvary. Interestingly enough, blood was shed on Jesus's head with the crown but it's interesting that there is a helmet of some kind in the spirit realm that can settle over our minds and God will give us the grace by the power of the Holy Spirit to renew our minds and not dwell on negative fearful bitter ungodly things so the next time these thoughts come into your mind that are lustful that are violent that are bitter that are fearful whatever determine I'm throwing that garbage out I'm going to focus on the things of God and when we choose to remember, because we can all remember the good or remember the bad. How many knows we've got some stuff we don't really want to remember in the past? Everybody's been through some tough times. But we've also got things we can remember where God showed up. Remember those things. And then whenever you look into the future, you're going to be like David, and you're going to look at a Goliath, and you're going to say, you know what? I remember the lion and the bear. God was with me. And I killed that lion and that bear by myself. And he said, this giant in my future is going to be no different than that lion and bear. His head's coming off. That's a strong mind, a strong soul that's full of faith. The breastplate of righteousness. Let me tell you, your heart, everybody put your hand on your heart right now. Your heart is of great value to God. And I'm going to tell you, the Bible says to guard your heart with all diligence because out of your heart flows the issues of life. 
And your heart can be broken, your heart can be wounded, your heart can be bitter, or your heart can be full of love. But that heart is a big issue in our Christian walk. And so let me tell you, God has given us an armament, a grace that can settle over your heart and protect your heart. And that is the breastplate of righteousness. Now let me show you how it works. These are some things to take some notes about because it'll help you down the road. But you know how we're righteous? We're righteous by faith. So in other words, some people, whenever they feel like they've stumbled or they've sinned or uh, maybe they've made a mistake or they said something wrong, they did something wrong, they've let themselves down, they feel like they've let God down, they'll go to pray about it, but they're so condemning on themselves. They're so hard on themselves that their heart stays in that wounded place. But the Bible does not condone that type of activity. That is condemnation and it's self-condemnation. It's not from God. It's from yourself or it can also be from the devil, but it's not from God. When we go before the Lord and we have messed up, and all of us do, and we say, Lord, forgive me, I repent, wash me in your blood, that moment, not three hours later, not after you beat yourself up real good, not after you hate yourself for three days, not through works, that moment right there, God will forgive us and cleanse us. And your heart will stay guarded by the faith that you are right with him, righteousness. That your heart can be at peace knowing the Bible promises me that he'll never leave me or forsake me. He's with me to the ends of the age. The Holy Spirit lives in me. No matter what I go through, he's gonna be with me. And if I make a mistake along the way, he still loves me, the Bible says he does. And if I'll confess my sin before him, he'll forgive me. And your heart stays at that peace and that love with God and, you're, and it's not disturbed in you. You need to have faith in what the Bible says. And that's why 1 Thessalonians 5, 8 talks about a breastplate of faith and love. See, a lot of people only know about Ephesians chapter 6 where it talks about the breastplate of righteousness. But 1 Thessalonians 5, 8 talks about a breastplate of faith and love faith to know that you are forgiven and you're right with God because it's not about your works it's not about your perfection it's not about you measuring up it's not about you trying to do 10 good deeds to cancel out the two mistakes you made no it's about God's love for us and he forgives us and we believe his word and when we accept it as it is and believe it that faith produces a breastplate of righteousness to guard your heart the second revelation about this is the breastplate of faith and love. Love is this, that we understand that God has loved us so much that he's forgiven us from so much that no matter what anybody does to us, we're going to choose to forgive and let it go. And we are determined that we're going to walk in love. And we've all had to learn this. I've been through some extremely difficult times, and it was hard. God had to literally heal me from the damage of some abusive people in life. And I know others have had the same thing. 
But let me tell you, you've got to make up your mind, no matter what anybody says about me, no matter what anybody does, no matter how much it hurts, I have made up my mind, I'm going to forgive them, I'm going to give it to God, and I am going to walk in love. If you will put on that breastplate of righteousness, faith, and love, God will guard your heart. The next thing is the belt of truth. We have to be established in the truth and sound doctrine. Everything else in the armament seemed to connect to the belt. At least that's what people I've researched the armor say, that the Romans, their, their belt held everything together. But you know, that makes sense. The belt of truth, meaning that we know the word of God for ourselves. Let me encourage you to know what you believe and how to defend it because Satan will try to challenge things. Let me say that again. Know what you believe and be able to defend it. Be established in sound doctrine. But here's the interesting thing. Isaiah 11:5 says that your loins to be girt up with righteousness and faith. Once again, are for us to be able to run the race. Remember Hebrews says to to um what is it to shake off all those sins that easily beset us? to be able to run the race. In biblical times, they all wore robes. I just had a picture of Fernando in a robe right there. But they all wore robes. And so for them to run, how I many knows if you try to run in a robe, you're probably going to trip over your sandals and, you know, land in the dirt, right? So they would have to gird up, pull up the lower part of their, their robe, gird it up around their waist so that they could sprint and run and not trip. And so they use this as an illustration, as a metaphor in scripture, that to gird up your loins with righteousness and faith. So in other words, what I believe that's saying for us is this, let's get rid of anything that's holding us back. We all know because everybody's got their own weakness and their own imperfections. And tonight I'm just talking to you real openly and real candidly, and this is going to be a little bit different tonight, but Whatever it is that you struggle with, God loves you and he wants to help you and he's going to help you. He's shown me that he's about to really heal and deliver people. But I'm going to tell you, we've got to come to him about it. And I'm going to close with that later. All right. The gospel shoes of peace. I need to park here for a minute. The shoes of peace. All right. So, you know, when you, when you get up in the morning and you put on your shoes... I mean, you guys have ever went around barefoot and stepped on something that hurt? I've done that. When I was a kid, I stepped on a nail, all right? Yeah, and I had to pull it out of my foot. But that's, you know, that's why we have shoes. If, you know, what was I thinking as a kid? It's not like I didn't have shoes at home. <laughs> I don't know. But the gospel shoes of peace. Let me tell you something. The peace of God is so important. If you can catch what I'm about to tell you, this will really help you. It'll help your marriage. It'll help your future marriage. It'll help your ministry. It'll change your life. Romans 16, 20 says, The God of peace, everybody say the God of peace, will soon crush Satan under your feet. Well, now that's an awesome promise, isn't it? But to have the devil under your feet, you're going to have to learn how to walk in peace. Well, the first thing about walking in peace is you're not walking in fear. 
But another thing about the God of peace is this. We've got to be a people that will understand things like this. A soft answer turns away wrath. So when, and also the Bible says to be a peacemaker. So when somebody else is maybe having a bad day, instead of poking at them, calm the thing down. Be a peacemaker. See, where there's peace, Satan is crushed underfoot. But where there's fighting and there's strife, the devil runs rampant. Let me say that again. Where there's peace, the devil is crushed underfoot. But where there's fighting and there's strife, the devil's running rampant. How many homes out there are full of unnecessary strife? How many churches out there are full of unnecessary strife? And because of that strife and that fighting, the devil is having his way. But if they would allow the peace of God to come in and calm everything down, then they could forgive, they could pray together, they could unify. But that peace of God has got, somebody has got to be a peacemaker that comes in and says, hey, let's all calm down and pray together and calm the thing down and get everything under the blood then the enemy will run. So our walk, the gospel shoes of peace, our walk has got, we've got to learn how to walk in peace. To not be somebody that, that is losing their temper. I remember when I first got saved, I mean, that was something I had, I had a temper, you know. How many of you guys had a little bit of anger before you got everything right with God? Don't lie. There's hands should be coming up. All right. It's making sure we don't need to do an altar call right now about lying and stuff because I did too. But as you grow in Christ, you, you begin to, God helps you to begin to walk in peace like you never have. So let me show you something else. Ephesians 4.25, speak the truth, each one of you with his neighbor. So in other words, make sure your mouth is speaking the truth for we are members of one another. Be angry, but yet don't sin. Now listen, it's not a sin to get angry per se, but when people get angry, people tend to do a lot of sinful things. <laughs> so what the Apostle Paul is saying here is, if you get angry, all right. Let me just paraphrase what Paul's saying. All right, y'all ready? If you get angry, okay, count to 10. <laughs> Don't blow up and do stuff in anger and start causing problems and saying things you're going to regret and getting all everybody's feelings hurt with you. And then you have to go back and ask forgiveness from everybody and you cause all these problems. When you get angry, just calm down. Go get alone with God and calm it down. And we've all had to learn this, haven't we? Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give an opportunity to the devil. So don't let the sun go down on your anger, meaning this. If you've had strife in your home, don't go to bed angry. Be willing to talk it out and pray together so that you don't give the devil an open door. Once people go to sleep at night and they go into that comatose state, okay, if they go to bed with sin in the home because they've just had a big fight, maybe in, in your marriage or maybe between parents and children, 
and there's this strife and this anger and this fight, and then everybody just goes to sleep like that. If you're not careful, a spirit of strife can try to come into a home, and when you wake up the next morning, things are not better, they're starting to get worse. So before you go to bed, you need to talk it out and pray together, even if you may not be hugs and kisses, but at least you forgive one another and you're willing to bury the hatchet <laughs> before you go to sleep. Amen? But seriously, don't give the devil a foothold. This whole sermon, if everybody will really take this to heart, I really believe this will help you down the road. I see some things coming down the road and I'm trying to go ahead and teach now how that we can renew our minds, how that we can live by faith and how we can put on our armor and we can be victorious when it comes. But don't allow strife and anger to be a part of your life. If your spouse is having a bad day, try to calm things down and be a peacemaker. Also, Proverbs 25, 28 warns us, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person that lacks self-control. So people that get all bent out of shape, they get angry, they blow up, they... They lose their temper. Their life is like a city that their walls are broken down and things are able to come through those walls. All right, here's the last defensive armor today, the shield of faith. And I also put favor there. Our faith, as we grow in faith, there's a literal shield. As we grow in faith, I believe our shield grows. It gets bigger and your shield can cover you and your family. And a, and a pastor's shield has to cover the church. So your shield of faith forms a barrier between you and the enemy, but it's faith. Faith in God's word, faith in God's promises, faith in what Jesus has told us. And you know what? The, the shield of faith is this. Whenever the enemy tries to come in, we know what the Bible says, and so we stand on God's word against the enemy. The word of God against the enemy is a shield of faith because we understand, hey, look, the enemy's trying to do this, but the Bible promises us victory in this area. So we go before the Lord, I believe your word, and I'm putting up the shield that your word says the enemy cannot cross this line. He cannot have his way and do what he wants to do. It's a shield of faith. Also, the Bible says in Psalms 5:12 that the favor of God is around the righteous like a shield. Did you know you can stand on that promise that the favor of God will be about you like a shield? I believe with all my heart that when we take Holy Communion together, and I'm speaking a blessing, you know, the, the bread of the table of showbread in the tabernacle was the bread, the Bible says, panav, the bread of faces. And it represents God's face. Throughout the scripture, God always talked about his face would shine upon those that he's pleased with. But whenever people sinned and they were unrepentant, he said that he would have to turn his face from them. And we want God's face shining upon us. Amen. And when we take Holy Communion together and get covered in the blood, that is a picture and type of the table of presence, the table of God's face. I believe as we take communion, what we're doing is, is we're getting the sin. We're, Lord, forgive us for any sin. We're dealing with the sin. We're forgiven people. And now as we take communion, we're getting covered in the blood. 
and there's a there's some symbolism there that that bread represents God's shining face on you I believe communion brings the favor of God upon your life the shining of God's favor offensive weapons you know you can't just play defense with the devil you guys ever seen a boxer that ends up up against the ropes and he's just doing this the other guy's just wailing on him you know you can't just sit there in a defensive posture the entire time taking a beating at some point in time you got to rise up and use your authority so let me give you some offensive weapons number one the sword of the spirit that's why I encourage people to memorize scripture when I was younger in the Lord I memorized a lot of scripture got it in my heart that's what the Bible's talking about I've hid your word in my heart it's talking about memorizing it and I, I memorized a lot of scripture and it's come in so handy because when the enemy tries to do something the first thing you can do is quote the word of God directly at the devil and the Bible says it's a sword it's an offensive weapon that goes against the enemy right there Jesus whenever he was confronted by the devil we all know the story Jesus could have said a lot of things but what Jesus did was he quoted the scriptures at the devil and he's our example there's a lot of things Jesus could have said but he chose to quote the scripture when Satan would come in and try to tempt him you know Jesus hadn't eaten in all this time he's out in the wilderness he's hungry why don't you make this stone bread and, and you know eat it and Jesus could have done it but what he's saying man will not live by bread alone and he quoted the word of God directly at the devil listen whenever the enemy's trying to come against you you need to have scriptures in your heart that you can say hey wait a second I bind you get out of here and quote the word of God at the devil and there's a scripture I love that says if we submit to God and we resist the devil he'll flee that's a that's a scripture to memorize that I have used I don't know how many times against the enemy if I submit my life to God and my life is right with God, I'm forgiving people, I'm, I'm you know, confessing anything I need to, as I've submitted my, my life under his lordship, then whenever I resist the enemy, he's got to flee. Here's some weaponry you've probably never heard of. You ready? Did you know that there is a spear of the Lord? Now you guys know that's a cool scripture. Right there. There's a spear of the Lord. You know what a spear is? A spear is a long-range weapon. In today's vernacular, as we talk about technology and such, I believe that the spear of the Lord can also be seen like an RPG or like a grenade launcher or a, some kind of a missile that you launch it in its long range and it goes into the enemy's camp. That's kind of the way the spear of the Lord works. It's a long-range weapon. You know what the spear of the Lord, I believe, is? Praise and worship, prayer and intercession. I believe as we come together as a church on Tuesday nights and we're praising and we're worshiping and we're praying together and interceding together, I believe that there literally is like a missile being launched into the enemy's camp. Did you know that there's a rod of the Lord the rod has to do with authority this is where we rise up in our authority we have authority over the enemy the Bible is clear these signs follow them to believe will drive out demons and the Bible says that we'll tread on snakes and scorpions and overcome all the power of the enemy was it Luke 10 19 I believe 
We will tread on snakes and scorpions. What are snakes and scorpions? The demonic. We will tread on them and overcome all the power of the enemy. Not some, all. But see, this is as we're growing in our faith. There's an authority that we have with God. That we can, buy, we can say in Jesus' name, I bind this and command it to leave my life right now. And there's an authority as it's driven out. The next thing is the battle axe. The battle axe has to do with a fresh anointing. Oh, man. Let me tell you how important it is to stay in God's house and get a fresh anointing. There's been times that I've gone through some tough spiritual stuff. And as I come to the house of God, the corporate worship, the corporate faith, the corporate prayer, there's a corporate anointing. And there's a fresh anointing that will come in your life. How many times, I remember hearing stories in revival. This one pastor that saw a major move of God, he, he said that the enemy was attacking really strong and, his, and his, he felt tormented in his mind and he had his, his leadership there and he just told him, he said, guys, would y'all pray for me? And they all pray for him. He falls out under the power of God and he said while he was on the ground, it was like this fresh anointing came and he stood up with a new strength and rebuked that thing off that was coming against him. That fresh anointing, and let me tell you, that battle axe, that fresh anointing is the same axe the Bible says will be laid to the root. Did you know that the axe of God is supposed to be laid to the root of a problem? Too many people are trying to hack at some, some leaves and some fruit and just at the branches, but the anointing will cause us to be able to lay the axe to the very root of the problem. And then the last one is what I mentioned earlier in this is angelic assistance. The Bible promises us the angelic assistance. Think about these scriptures I'm quoting right here. The Lord said, I will encamp my angels around those that fear me and the angels will deliver them. The Lord says, if you're a secret place dweller, I will send my angels and give them charge over you and they'll be with you and they will deliver you and bury you up in their hands, lest you dash your foot against a stone. The Lord promises that he would send his terror ahead of us. That's the angels. And that the enemy would be thrown into confusion and flee before us. And he would send his angels as ministering spirits to minister. Listen, when Jesus went through that warfare with the devil in the wilderness, at the end of it, the Bible said angels came to minister to him. He's the son of God. If he needed angelic ministry, I'm pretty sure the rest of us do. And they will come to minister strength. How many times without people probably even realizing it, the angels of the Lord were there and blocked things that could have happened. And also, you know, you felt the presence of the Lord and you didn't even know why, but the angel of the Lord was praying over you. All right, just know that that is a major weapon in these last days. God's going to send forth his angels to protect his people and to help make sure this harvest comes in and to help make sure revival happens and to help make sure the bride's made ready. We got help from on high. All right, 
the last couple things, the coverings of the Lord. Did you know there's spiritual coverings? So we dealt with defensive weaponry. We dealt with offensive weaponry. Now we're going to deal with like coverings. 1 Corinthians 11.10 says, Therefore a woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. People that don't understand spiritual authority and don't understand Genesis 6 and other things in the Bible, they're not going to know what that's talking about. But let me just say this for the sake of time. We need to have a covering over us, and that covering provides protection. I have a pastor over me that, you know, I sit under his authority, and I know he's praying for me, and I know that I'm a pastor to you, and there's a covering. But let me tell you something. It is important that we're undercover. Now, let me say some things about this. God provided the church to be a covering to people, but he also provided in the home. Please give me your best ear about this. Satan has sent spirits like a Jezebel and Ahab spirit to try to destroy homes and destroy families. And it's, it's been very successful, unfortunately. See, God intended for the husband to be a strong leader that would be a, a covering over his family that the wife coming underneath that authority and submitting to that authority could find protection the children could grow up in a secure environment knowing that the father was a man of god and he was a protector of that family and they felt secure about that and they knew and, and you know consequently they related that later in life to god a lot of a lot of the re relations we have with our fathers play into the way we view God. And so that's why some people need some healing in that area. But anyway, that was God's intent. But Satan sends in these diabolical spirits that want to destroy that. And let me give you examples where maybe a, a woman picks up a Jezebel spirit or whatever. And she doesn't want to submit to the husband. So she begins to really buck his authority. And she begins to tear him down and belittle him in front of the kids. And over time, that husband, the goal of a Jezebel spirit, and there's a supernatural power behind it. So it's not just an obnoxious, mean-spirited woman. There's a spirit behind it. So it seems to have a lot of power in it. The goal of that Jezebel spirit is to so damage that man psychologically damage him emotionally to where he does not have the strength and the confidence to be able to lead that family in the purposes of God and so he's so wounded that he takes a back seat and becomes passive and he wants all the abuse to stop and so now the woman rises up and begins to run the family and control the family and the sad thing is that children that grow up in that environment will turn out usually having a lot of issues in life. That family will have a spirit of strife in it. They'll have a difficult time getting answered prayers. Their home's out of order. And things are not where it needs to be with God. But God's intent is for there to be coverings over us. So here's the coverings. We know salvation and righteousness as we accept Christ as our Savior. And those are the priestly garments of salvation, the robe of righteousness. Also, the blue garment is the garment of power as you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. So we all should have 
a clothing of white and a clothing of blue over us that you may not see with your natural eye, obviously, but there is a robe of righteousness and there is a clothing of God's power, which is represented by the blue tunic. There also can be an armor of light. Did y'all know that was in the Bible? How awesome is that? The Bible says that God wraps himself in light. That's his Shekinah glory. The glory of God has a weighty presence to it. How many of you guys have felt the, the heavy presence of God? You felt that. You felt maybe under the power and you felt there was this weight on you. That's the glory. But in the spirit realm, that glory also has a shining to it. It's the light, the Shekinah. And see, when Adam and Eve were created in the image of God in the garden, and it says they were naked and knew no shame, yes, they were physically naked, but they weren't. the glory of God was on them because they were created in the image of God. And if you read it and do a Hebrew study, when it says they were naked, not ashamed, it was naked as A-R-O-M, Arom. But after they ate the fruit, the glory left. And it says now they were naked and went and hid themselves. And when you read it in the Hebrew, it's E-R-O-M, Arom, and it means completely nude. What happened? The glory left. So the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of what? The glory. God wants his glory in our lives, but the glory of God will only be where things are right with him, where there's a purity, where the blood of Jesus is applied. That's the first thing that happened after Adam and Eve sinned, and they, they tried to cover themselves in fig leaves, and God said, no. And God had to kill an animal and cover them in animal skins. Why? Because he was showing them it's going to take blood to get back what you lost, the shedding of blood. And he was pointing to Christ. The glory of God can be on our lives like an armor of light. The glory of God can be in and over your home. The glory of God can settle over you when you sleep at night. The glory of God can be in a church and over a church. And I believe the glory in these last days will be a defense for people that will allow the glory and desire the glory in their lives. But the glory of God, see, I've seen people that can still operate under a, a level of the anointing even though they're not right. I've seen people that can still operate and function in the gifts. But I promise you, the glory will not be there unless things are right with God. If a home is out of order, the glory won't be there. If there's sin, if there's things that are going on in that home that grieve the Holy Spirit, the glory will leave. If you're, if you're doing things you shouldn't be doing, the glory will live. But I don't know about you, but I want his glory, his presence in my life. I want to be able to drive down the road and feel the glory in my car. I want to be able to sleep at night and feel the glory settle over me as I sleep at night. I want to be able to pray, and in my prayer life, you can feel the glory there. I want to be able to come into God's house and feel his glory here. Amen? It's available to us. It's an armor of light over our lives. I believe it's Isaiah chapter 6. Once the Lord has purged, or four, six, something like that, where the Lord has purged the bloodstains away from Jerusalem by a spirit of fire and a spirit of burning, then the glory will be over all a canopy. Here's the last little bit, humility. 1 Peter 5, 5 talks about being clothed in humility. Excuse me. There's got to be a clothing of humility. 
Did you know that as we clothe ourselves in humility that we're being protected from so many things from the devil's kingdom? Pride is dangerous because pride is not only a major sin, but it also seems to give birth to a lot of other sins. You ever seen those creepy little spiders? And I don't like spiders. Anybody else with me on this? I don't like snakes either. But anyway, this spider is crawling and it looks like it's real hairy or something and you look at it. You guys ever done this? And just kind of kick it. And all of a sudden, all these little baby spiders go everywhere that were all over that thing. That is so, so creepy right there, isn't it? But the thing is, that's kind of like pride. Pride is like a mother sin, but it has a lot of other sins on it. And when people start getting prideful, they will start being rebellious. They will start being obstinate. They'll, they'll stop being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And there's a lot of other sins that they'll start getting into over time. So we need to clothe ourselves in humility. God gives his grace to the humble. You know what the grace of God is? It takes the sting out of life. Did you know that? Did you know the grace of God on you causes there to be a peace the grace of God with you empowers you to overcome. The grace of God with you causes you to be able to do things you could never do. You know, I, I want, Lord, to overcome this sin. Lord, I want to be a bold witness. Lord, I want to be able to do this. I want to be able to do that. And as we humble ourselves, the Lord will give us the grace to be able to do those things we could never do. But grace only comes through humility. But whenever people are prideful, God is resisting them. He opposes the proud. And here's the last two, vengeance. I love this. Isaiah 59, 17. Did you know there's a, a mantle, a cloak of vengeance? What in the world? That is in the Bible, friends. Let me explain this. The cloak of vengeance, the mantle of vengeance is this. If we are going to do what the Bible says, and we are going to forgive people, and we're going to pray for our enemies, we're going to bless those that curse us, and we're going to stay right with God, then God promises us it is mine to avenge. I will repay. What it's saying there is, is that God will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversary, and he will give you justice. Because you're not trying to exact justice yourself. You're just going to forgive people, pray for them, and bless them. Give it to God. Let it go. I'm clothing myself with humility. And God says, no, I'm also going to clothe you with vengeance because I'm going to vindicate you. I'm going to vindicate you. And the last one is zeal. There's a clothing of zeal. Jesus it says about him, zeal for my house consumed me. This is when he went through and had the whip. Jesus was wrapped in zeal. There's a clothing of zeal. You know what zeal is? It's where you stay on fire for God. You don't get lukewarm. The Lord will clothe you in zeal. We need that, don't we? Y'all give me a few more minutes. You need this, guys, down the road, I'm telling you. Next week, we got Benny Baker here. He's going to bring a powerful word. But I really feel this is an important word tonight. 
we've got to stay pure. Is it okay that I just get real, real with you guys and just talk to you in this last bit here? All right. Ecclesiastes 10.8, whoever digs a pit may fall into it. Whoever breaks through a wall may be bitten by a snake. Did you know when you go outside your boundaries that God has set for you, you, go, you try to break your hand through the wall, you try to go beyond the boundaries? There can be a snake that tries to strike. God has given us godly convictions for a reason. So I'm just going to get real, real with you guys and real open and transparent about this, okay? When I first got saved and I was young in the Lord, I didn't know. God had to teach me things. And there's things now in my convictions I didn't have back then because I didn't know better. But as I've grown in the Lord and as God put an anointing on my life, the Holy Spirit would not allow me to continue to have the things that I used to have in my life. He softened me, he changed me. And what happens is this, when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, he's wanting to use us, but we've got to remain really pure. And the Lord has a calling on people and he's wanting to use you, but that means that you are gonna be called to a higher standard. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? You're gonna be called to a higher standard. There's going to be things that it seems like other people are able to watch, listen to, places they go or whatever. You're not going to be able to. The Holy Spirit will constrain you. He will convict you and he will not let you do it. There's now, now I'm just going to get real real with everybody, okay? There was a time that, you know, before I was right with God, hey, you know, I didn't care about things like profanity and watching a TV show or movie or whatever. I didn't care. Hey, I, I use profanity myself. Why would I care, right, you know? But as, as I got right with God, then I got in revival, and then God began to move in my life. I noticed all of a sudden that the profanity really bothered me. And I could not sit there and watch something that's GD this, MF this, cussing, cussing, cussing. I couldn't, it just, it, the Holy Spirit was saying to me, don't defile yourself like that and don't let that in your life. It's affecting you spiritually. And so, you know, again, I'm just being real open and transparent about that. So my wife and I, we, we, you know, spent some money to get a filter for our TV. It's called a Guardian or whatever, and it does a fantastic job of blocking that stuff. But I, we, I just don't, I can't feel comfortable with it. And that stuff, if, if, if there's ever a time something slips through, all of us like, oh, you know, it's just, <laughs> what was that? You know, it just, you just can't stand it. You don't want it. You don't, and let me tell you, those things communicate into your home. And it's not just profanity, but I remember one time somebody had told me, hey, you should check out such and such show. So I go there, and yeah, it was funny, but here's the problem. In the show, there was people that would start fighting sometimes with each other. And I mean, they were really going at it. They were yelling and screaming and fighting. And I just felt in my spirit, I felt the Lord prompting me. I just didn't want people fighting in my home like that. I mean, they were, they were going at it. And I didn't want the screaming and yelling and fighting and strife communicated into my home. 
don't just think about these things and let the Holy Spirit begin to deal with you about this stuff and how much God has, has changed me. It, it's really, it's encouraging to me. You know, my wife, I was being real real, okay? My wife and I were watching some, like, Jurassic Park or something, and uh, it was funny. It was real intense. You know how those movies, it's real intense. And, but all of a sudden, this dinosaur gets this guy, and I'm like, oh, I can't see it, you know? But see, before I was a Christian, <laughs> I would have rewound that thing and watched it over and over. <laughs> I'm just being honest. I, if there was a slow-mo button, I would have slow-moed it. Seriously, I would have laughed. <laughs> but now, but now I couldn't even watch it. It, it just, oh, you know. And that really encouraged me when I was thinking about that today because let me say this too. I said that to make this point that there's movies and things out there like these slasher movies. See, when I was growing up, I had no convictions about things. I was not right with God. But I mean things like Nightmare on Elm Street. And I don't know all the new movies. I know there's a movie called Saw. I haven't seen it obviously. But movies that are full of terror, people being ripped to shreds, <laughs> this violence and, and garbage like that, grotesque stuff, those are not things to spiritually be feeding on. And, and I say this in love, but if there's somebody that's like, well, I like those things, you need to ask the Lord, Lord, I, I don't know why I like it. I shouldn't like it. Take this out of me, whatever this is, because this is not healthy, Okay. And I'm telling you that those type of things that's real grotesque and, and violent and all that. See, the Lord sensitized me to the point to where I remember we were watching maybe some nature show or something. You guys know what I'm talking about. Here comes the lion, and they, they take out the antelope. Oh, I just can't blood and guts. I, it just, but it's like stuff like that used to, that would have never bothered me before, but I can't watch it now. I turn my head. I can't see that. It just, and I can't even imagine now watching these movies like those, those, you know, scary movies and slasher movies and stuff. I can't even imagine that, you know. And I know that there was a grown man one time. I was in the ministry. I've been in ministry for 20 years. He came to me at some point and was talking to me. And actually, you might have been there, but he was talking about watching Blair Witch back a long time ago. It was back when the movie came out. He was a grown man. But let me tell you, a tormenting spirit started affecting him because he started having difficulty sleeping at night and he had a spirit of fear come in his life. Remember, he was talking to me about it. It is something got in his life. And I know there was a young lady that one time a, a demon manifested and was being cast out of her. And the demon was saying that it had a legal right to be there because she had went to this X-rated movie and was watching sexual stuff. And so the demon said, I have a right to be here. And so they had to drive it out. And obviously she had to get that stuff dealt with. But there's things that if we're not careful can open up. And these slasher movies, you know, where people are, um, the fear and the terror and the grotesque violence, things like that, being communicated into a home, being communicated in somebody's life, I'm telling you, it can defile your home, it can defile you, but also there are spirits that traffic in those type of movies of murder, violence, and fear. 
And here's some other things. Stay sexually pure. Whatever you do, stay sexually pure. I'm telling you, sexual purity is a big deal. Even, you know, in shows and stuff or whatever it is, I can't stand whether it's a commercial. Nowadays, commercials will pop up. And, I mean, you're out of nowhere. Some Victoria's Secret commercial pops up. And it's like fast forward, turn, change. I'm not going to sit there and stare at that and allow that stuff. In today's society, we've got to have bouncing eyes. Are you hearing me? Don't sit there and stare at something and let it really get imprinted on your mind, okay? And when these things are on there, that's the time to turn it, to get beyond it, to whatever you need to do to, to, to get that stuff. To the degree that whenever even people like start making out or something, I don't want to see that. So fast forward that, you know, is I don't want to see that. I don't want that type of stuff going in my eyes and mind and affecting me. Even when there's like bikinis and stuff. For me, I'm just being, it's okay, I'm just being honest. With you. I don't want to sit there and gawk at that. Because I don't want that imagery stuck in my mind. So it's like time to fast forward that or whatever you need to do, you know. You get that out, gone. Avoid things that are occult. Be very careful with this one. The occult is extremely dangerous. There are things out there now in video games, in movies, in TV shows that have to do with spell casting, incantations, conjuring spirits, everything you can imagine, divination, sorcery, witchcraft, all of it, it's out there and it's everywhere. Be careful with these things because it has a power about it it's a seducing spirit. And when people start messing with it, and they start kind of flirting with it, it tries to pull them in. And that is definitely something that can open a door for demonic spirits to begin to enter a home and enter a person's life is through dabbling in the occult. Things like Ouija boards, seances, um, Movies that have to do with vampires and werewolves and all this garbage. The stuff you see around Halloween time, that stuff. All the stuff that has to do with death and fear and the occult. Keep that stuff out. Keep it out of your life. Stay really pure before God. Is this helping tonight? Avoid the ungodly entertainment, as I mentioned. Grotesque violence. Nudity, profanity, darkness, the occult. Be very careful and wise who you hang around with. Let me tell you, I have seen in the ministry, that is one of the main things I've seen take people down is they either date or they hang around the wrong person. And you guys, even if you haven't been in ministry very long, can you, can you kind of back me up on this? You've seen it yourself. That's one of the main things that I've seen take people away from Christ is they're either dating the wrong person or they're hanging around the wrong person. Next thing you know, they're away from God. And here's how Satan works. It's very subtle. There's a, it's like a little small compromise to your conviction. The other person, they don't respect your convictions. They think you're being over-spiritual and stupid because you don't want to watch that show, because you don't want to listen to that 
MP3 or whatever. You're like, look, man, I don't want to listen to that garbage on my iPod. I don't want to, I don't want to see that. And they're like, oh, you're being stupid. You're being legalistic. And they argue with you, and they're trying to get you to compromise your convictions. So pretty soon, hanging out with them is causing a problem because now you're like, all right, well, maybe we can. So you start compromising with something that's seemingly very little. But without realizing it, now you've, you've grieved the Holy Spirit and resisted him because he's told you no. So now that little compromise starts leading to something bigger to something bigger, to something bigger, to pretty soon you find yourself out of church, away from God, backslidden, not doing good, doing things you had never done. And God, out of his great mercy, sends somebody to you that comes to you and says something to you. And it's like it just somehow snaps and you come to your senses and realize, how did I get here? You got there because the very first problem was this. You should have never compromised your conviction for anybody. That's where it all started right there. If people don't respect your convictions, then tell them I'm not going to hang out with you because you don't respect my opinion about this. I'm not saying you have to do it. I'm saying this is my, my conviction, so quit trying to get me to compromise that. Stay humble and under authority and develop a strong prayer life. So this is the altar call now tonight. Have you guys learned something tonight? I just want to get really real with everybody. Listen, my wife and I, we're careful. My daughter will tell you. We're real careful about things with uh, music, entertainment, whatever. We try to be real careful. Because I don't want something in my home that would grieve the Holy Spirit. Amen? I don't want something that's going to have a negative effect on me. You know, and, and whether it's the internet or whether it's driving down the road with billboards or you're in a Walmart and there's these tabloids there, whatever it is, it's like turning your eyes from this. I'm not going to sit there and let that affect me. If you're honest with yourself tonight, you know you feel like you have some kind of a weakness in your life somewhere everybody does and this is the altar call tonight you guys know the story of Samson he had a mighty call on his life he was a Nazarite from birth that means that he was dedicated as holy unto God he was not supposed to cut his hair because it was part of the Nazarite vow he was not supposed to eat or drink from the grapevine and he was not supposed to touch a dead body. Those are the three things he was not supposed to do, but yet he did all of them. But Samson's great weakness was this. Samson had a lust problem. That was Samson's weakness. That was his kryptonite. And the Philistines, under the inspiration of the devil, I'm sure, knew the only way we're going to take Samson down is we're going to have to entice him with lust and use that weakness in his life to take him down. And that's exactly what the devil will do every time. The devil knows what your weakness is, what my weakness is. He knows. And he's not going to attack you in your strength. He wants to attack you in your weakness. 
But here's the interesting thing about Samson. In Judges 13, 25, the Bible says about Samson, the spirit of the Lord began to stir him when he was young, before he really started his ministry. The spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in Dan between Zorah and Eshtol. Under the prompting of the Holy Spirit, I wanted to look up Zorah and Eshtol and find out a little bit about these places and what it means. Zorah comes from the root word in Hebrew, Zerah, and it means the sting of a hornet. And anybody that knows biblical terminology knows that the sting of the devil is witchcraft. It's a, it's a sting. It's like a shooting a curse in the spirit realm and a Jezebel spirit, things like that. And that ultimately was what attacked Samson, wasn't it? A Delilah, she's no doubt a Jezebel that slithered into his life, seduced him, and took him down spiritually to where his eyes were gouged out. And he's down in a dungeon somewhere being made fun of and mocked by the enemy. The word eshtol in the Hebrew means entreaty. It means to earnestly entreat. In other words, when you entreat God like you're entreating him to do something, you're asking him, you're earnestly beseeching him, you're imploring him, even begging God. It is to make an earnest request or petition. But we know at the end of Samson's life, he never got it dealt with. And so whenever he died, here's the story of his death. He, had, he was blind and he was brought out and he felt his hair growing back. He felt the anointing come back. And he bent over with all his might. He'd asked the Lord, allow me to die with my enemies here, but allow me to take them out. And he pushed on those pillars of that huge building and all these people were there and the building crushed his enemies he died there as well but it says at the end of his life then his brothers and his of his father's household came down took him brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtol here's what this means when Samson first began his ministry the Lord knew that that was his weakness and the Lord knew he was going to face a Jezebel spirit the Lord knew that he was going to face the sting of the enemy. And God was trying to get Samson in those young early years to entreat him and seek him and say, God, take this out of me. Deliver me of this. Change me. But Samson never did that. He never got his weakness crucified with Christ, so to speak. I'm speaking metaphorically for us. He never got it dealt with. And so that's the very thing that took him down. And that's the very place his tomb ended up being. What I'm saying is this. I feel the Spirit of the Lord telling me, I gave that prophetic word in the service. Now is the time that things are about to change and the Lord is going to start helping people with their weaknesses big time. Restoration, change is here. There's a different anointing. Now, I'm going to tell you, whatever your weakness is, if it's been a tendency to be depressed, if it's been a tendency to be bitter, if it's been a tendency toward lust, if it's been a tendency toward other things, whatever it is, if you'll come before the Lord, let him deal with it in you now 
so that later on in life in your ministry, it's not the area that Satan tries to take you down in. How many ministries could have avoided something if early on in their ministry that pride issue, that insecurity issue, that lust issue, that greed issue, whatever it was in them, that God knew it was there, probably they had some kind of an inkling that it was there, but they never got it really dealt with. And so later on in life, Satan says, hey, hit him in that area. See, I know in my spirit, I know that there's more people even tonight that should have been here to hear this and to get the altar ministry of this. But did you know that very few of God's people are really led by the spirit? Most people are led by their own flesh and what they feel like doing. Mm, yeah, I, I feel like going this, but I don't feel like this time. And they're just, they're just led by whatever they feel like doing. That's the flesh. A lot of people are led by the soul. They're led by their own human reasoning and their own human emotions. Your human emotions can get you in a lot of trouble. Your human emotions can cause you to feel sorry for people you shouldn't feel sorry for. Your human emotions can make you make decisions you shouldn't make. But we need to be led by the Spirit of God. So tonight, here's what I want to have an altar call about right here. The Lord is looking for our homes to be in order. He's looking for us to not compromise. Are y'all hearing me? The godly convictions God has given you, do not compromise them for anybody. Don't compromise them for anybody. Don't let somebody of the opposite sex try to get you to compromise. Don't let your friends try to get you to compromise. Don't let your family try to get you to compromise. If you have convictions God's given you, you be willing to die for those convictions. I am not doing that. My wife and I were walking through the grapevine area during Christmas, and we were looking at the lights. And on our way out, there was this band playing, well, inside of a building, and they were good. And I play guitar, so I was watching the guitar player. But it didn't take long for me to get past the, the awe of how good the guitar player was and realize, hey, wait a second. We're standing right outside the door here of a bar is basically what it was. And me and my wife just kind of looked at each other and we're like, nah, you know, we just walked off. Why in the world would I want to go back into that? You know, that was my past. That's your past. Why in the world would I want to... And there are people out there, guys, that they go to church, but on weekends and stuff, they're sitting in bars, they're drinking alcohol, they're cussing, they're smoking cigarettes, and they're just like the world. And there's, there's the churches they go to, God help us, but they're not convicted there. There's other people that profess Christianity, but on weekends, they're at clubs. And they're, they're drinking, they're maybe taking some of these light drugs, you know, they take, and they're there dancing and rubbing their bodies seductively up to people, dancing in that environment, hanging around in that environment, and then they'll go to church and prop their little feet up and sip on a latte and listen to an inspirational speech and feel no conviction about it. God help us. We need revival. 
And I, I can't do that stuff anymore. I used to be in bars. I cannot go back in like that. Now, to go into witness, that's one thing. But I can't hang out there. I don't want to be there. Those aren't my people. And that's not, you know, where my heart is. My heart is in God's presence. Amen. So don't compromise. Make sure that you walk in forgiveness no matter how, how hard it is. But tonight, whatever struggles you've had, let's let the power of God start bringing a breakthrough. Let's go, go ahead and shut down recordings. We're going to pray tonight for people, and the power of God is going to start breaking through tonight. Listen, everybody, I encourage you. I preach a lot of sermons. I was going to take my time. This is longer than usual, and it's more information than usual. But I, I felt the Holy Spirit tell me, you need this for what's coming. You need this information. I encourage you to take those sermon notes home put it in your bible look back over them and pray about them because in the days to come the warfare is going to change is everybody hearing me the battle's going to change things are going to be different and we're going to have to be ready but jesus paid for our victory already we've just got to apply it we've got to walk in what is available to us so lord i pray tonight here in a moment, Brother Zach, I want you to play the iPod, but not yet. I'm going to play this. I, I really have felt God very strongly right now on, on some stuff from Brownsville. I know it's not the best recording. Y'all have already heard it anyway. But the anointing that's there. We're going to pray for you tonight, but here's what I want you to do. For the next couple minutes, I want you to talk to God about your weaknesses. What is it that has affected you be honest about it is it insecurities have you had kind of a fear sometimes an insecurity about witnessing or about being in front of people about singing or about doing stuff you know you're supposed to be doing and there's an insecurity there is it an anger issue is it a lust issue whatever it is go to him talk to him about it because he loves us he wants to forgive us and he wants to set us free from it and heal us. So, Brother Zach, can you just real quietly play that and pull it down where it's just real soft right now? Let's talk to God about it. <laughs> 